Welcome to the Abundant Life Podcast. Impossible. So many things in life seem impossible. For example, many years ago, an electric car seemed impossible, a phone without a cord seemed impossible, but what we do know is that God can do the impossible, and we are asking Him to do just that. If we can explain it, God didn't do it. With God, all things are possible. And November is our global outreach month, and God is using all of you to reach Peru. And I'm so thankful for the compassion partnership we have. We build a compassion center along with the church, and it's going amazing. Thank you for all of you that are sponsoring those kids. There's still more to go if you want to be a part of that. And uh, it's just amazing to see that COVID can't stop the move of God. In fact, COVID has created opportunity of unprecedented proportions. And so in all the world that's bad, it's easy to focus on everything that's bad, but I want you to focus on all that God is doing that is good. And as we pray for our nation, November's gonna be a month that we focus on reaching the nation. So we're gonna be introducing you to some of our global partners, and Steve Kern is one of them. It was January 1995, young police officer left the country for the first time ever and went to a country called El Salvador. Could not have fathomed five years later he would be a pastor. And that was, of course, me. And it was there that I met a young missionary by the name of Steve Kern. And my eyes were forever open to what it really means to be a Christian, to really begin living on mission and living out Acts 1 and verse 8, where Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so in March of 2000, I wake up a pastor Uh, and I've been a cop, and I don't really know anybody. I don't have any relationships, but I know we need some missionaries. Like, we're called to reach the world. And I remember this missionary by the name of Steve Kern that I'd met five years earlier, and I know for sure this is a relationship that I want our church to have. And in the last 20 years, hundreds of our members have gone to Central America to work with Good News in Action. And if you've never had a chance to go, I hope that one time soon that you will because it really was life-changing for me. And I'm so thankful that Steve Kern is here today. He is a longtime friend of Abundant Life, partner of Abundant Life. I'm not gonna call him an old friend of Abundant Life, but he is getting old. Last night at dinner, he asked me how old I was. I told him, 35 because I'm 35 forever, I don't know about you, but you reach an age and you decide I'm holding, right? And so he says, I can't believe you're that old. I said, well, Steve, in the last 20 years you've been getting older, I have too, all right? It happens to all of us. But what I love about this season of life is being able to look back over the last 20 years and see all that God has done. And it's absolutely amazing to see the move of God, and I'm convinced the best days are really yet ahead. Would you give it up for Steve Kern, our dear friend and partner in the ministry? Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning, to be with you. Uh, Really, uh, I consider this to be one of my, almost like my home church, even though I didn't come here when I was in the States, but visiting so many times. And one thing I was telling Phil last night, that as you minister for many years, you start to find people that have the same heart. And I can tell you that what we do in our part of the world, at our church is called Iglesia Bautista Vida Nueva, New Life Baptist Church, 
It's the same thing you do, the same burden for reaching people, but also grounding people in the Word of God through discipleship. And uh, we just feel like family, that we're in this together. And your church means so much to us, not just because of the groups that have come down and because of your support, but you've actually sent two families as missionaries to our church. Um, the Rhodes, who haven't been here for a while, but Jeff and Paula Rhodes, maybe a few of you know who they are. And uh, they were there with us for about six years. And then Stephen and Cheryl Paris were with us for many years. And they have been a tremendous blessing for us. And one of the things I always like to challenge people is that maybe God wants you to do that. You know, Stephen and Cheryl moved to El Salvador after they retired. So, and the Lord used them tremendously down there and also Jeff and Paula. And so your church is really, really special, not just because of the relationship with with Phil and Krista and, and, and other people, and Bill Gibbs and others. It's because of the teams that have come down, how you've helped us uh, financially, but also the missionaries you've sent down. So I'll leave you with that challenge. Maybe God wants you to come down and help us out. And we, of course, we live in um, El Salvador, and I have a little map up here that might help you to get an idea. Um, we're trying to reach a little part of the world that's between the equator, which is zero degrees and 20 degrees, and uh, basically, it's between the Tropic of Cancer and Equator, but the but Tropic of Cancer is 22.5. So we don't, we don't want to say Metro America is 22.5. We just say 020. So we're in this part of the world, and it gives you an idea of the, the countries that we're trying to reach. About 300 million people in that part of the world. And most estimates say 220 million of them don't know Christ. And we feel that God's put us in that area. And so my wife and I, 35 years ago, moved down to uh, San Salvador, El Salvador, as you can see on there, a little tiny country the size of Massachusetts. And we work in church planning and evangelism. And we helped start um, over 40 churches in El Salvador. And then God put on our heart to start sending Salvadorians out to the rest of the world to start churches. M many times when you see what's going on in the United States with the culture, you might think that, 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 that God's losing or something. But it's incredible what God's doing on the mission field. And right now, um, I heard that more Central Americans go out as missionaries than North Americans. So God is moving in other parts of the world. And I'm just speaking for my part of the world. I hear about it in other places too. And so we're sending out missionaries to other places. And you've helped us to start all, a lot of those works. Um, we've started, a, uh, we sent out missionaries to Managua, Nicaragua. We try to always go to countries, um, cities with over a million people. Guatemala City, which has over 4 million people. San Jose, Costa Rica, that has over a million um, and Bogota, Colombia, which has almost 10 million people. It's unbelievable. And, and there's just people everywhere, and they're receptive to the gospel. And you've had teams come down every year to Bogota, Colombia, during the last three years. And they've been a tremendous blessing. As a matter of fact, um, during this COVID um, experience, uh, as soon as it happened in our part of the world, a lot of the government shut everything down. In Mexico and Nicaragua, they didn't. Um, but in the other countries that I put up there, everything was shut down. And so we weren't even allowed to come out of our house. They shut down the airport. March didn't open until September. You could only go out um, when you, the last digit of your um, ID card or passport was a certain number twice a week. And we were just locked in. Weren't even allowed to mobilize. And so what we decided to do was the way that we could connect with people was, number one, to take care of the people in our church. Many of them lost jobs and had no food. So we mobilized the church and were able to help over a thousand uh, families with food baskets. Um, and we did that during the whole COVID. And then we helped some of our missions to do the same thing. The second thing that we tried to do was keep people connected. We didn't know anything about using the internet and, and, and live streaming and all that. Of course, we've learned how to do it during this time and we've helped our missions to do it. And it's been a real blessing 
because we've also used that to reach other people with the gospel. And our church in Bogota, which you've sent teams down to help a lot of times, has actually grown during this time as far as people being connected. Now, we haven't seen them come to church because they haven't been able to open up yet. But we actually have more people connected than we did before through the COVID. And so we're excited about that. We're excited about the opportunities we've had to share the gospel. And I really believe this, and this includes your reality. I think 2021 is going to be the best year to share the gospel. Many people um, are seeking answers. It's a very difficult time for many people. And when there's great suffering, people tend to seek the Lord. I want you to pray about one more thing. We're going to start a church in Mexico City. I forgot to mention San Pedro Sula, Honduras also. In Mexico City. Mexico City's been a dream for me since I moved to El Salvador because it used to be the largest city in the whole world. Um, now it's, I think, number four or five. But it is the largest city in the Western Hemisphere. And it has the equivalent of taking 10 Kansas City metropolitan areas and smashing it into one area. It has anywhere from 20 to 22 million people. You can't get a picture of the whole thing. That's just a little tiny part. That's like Lee Summit. So you can only get a small, a small angle of what the whole thing is. It's a huge city. It's a place with only 5% evangelicals. So most of the people don't know the Lord. And we're going to start a church. We're sending two missionaries there in January. And um, you have a group coming in March. So I want you to invite you to come to, to share the gospel in, in that part of the world. We're going to open up another work. And we just thank you so much for helping us. Thank you. Thank you for the missionaries that have come down to live and, and work with us. Thank you for supporting us and for praying for us also. You guys are, are like family for us. And one of the things that we get asked a lot about our part of the world is why are people so receptive to the gospel? And I, I always tell people I think it's because there's been so much suffering. So when I moved to El Salvador, it was in the middle of a civil war, 1985. Um, if you read your history, you remember back in those days, there was still the Cold War, and El Salvador was in the middle of it. We had a democratically elected government with leftist communist guerrillas. And so we went through a war. We've been, since I lived, there three major earthquakes, one that was almost eight. Um, a lot of people have died from that. We went through all kinds of diseases, chikungunya, Zika, dengue, and of course now COVID. And then the hurricanes, we just had one that almost hit us last week and nailed Nicaragua and Honduras. And so it's a place that's been hit hard with a lot of stuff. And so many people have, have looked to God. You know, It's interesting that as Americans, we have a tendency to always be praying and hoping that whoever wins the election or whatever happens will lead to more prosperity. But what you find in reality in life, the great awakenings in the United States happened in bad economic times and the greatest movements of God. And of course, everybody would hate me and throw tomatoes at me and say, let's pray that we won't have prosperity. I know that everybody hate my guts. So I'm just making a point that many times people are worried about that, but that's the times people seek after God. Many people always ask the question, why? Why? And I've, I've told so many people in El Salvador, I've said, look, in the Bible, God does not answer why. He, he doesn't answer why you have cancer, why you lost your job, why you grew up where you grew up, why do um, some kids born with AIDS and some other kids aren't born with AIDS. He never answers that why question. He answers a different question that's more important. You remember the story where Jesus was walking with the disciples and they saw the blind man? It says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What were they asking? Why was he born blind? 
Why was he born blind? I grew up in an atheist home, and so I got a steady diet of, you know, I can't, I can't believe in a God that allows suffering in the world, and why is there so much suffering? I, I, that was on my mind all the time. And, and I realized something about the Bible. You can read the book of Job. We, we just preached the book of Job earlier this year, and you'll find out God never answers that question. He answers an important question, though. Look, look at what Jesus says here. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And, and so God never answers the question why, but only answers the question what for. And this is my belief. Here I'm giving you a personal belief why. Why is a past question. You, you can spend your whole life asking why your parents treated the way you did, and you can live in the past, but you can't move on. What for is a future question. And God is a future-moving God, obviously from the present to the future, always saying, I don't know why what's happened to you has happened. I don't know why we have COVID, but I know what it's for. And I know God can take whatever crisis you're going through, you've been through, to show forth his works. I believe that with all my heart. It's like I told someone, you can go to the doctor with a broken leg and say to the doctor, doctor, why is my leg broken? He can pull out an anatomy book. And he can say, well, you know, the, the, uh, normally, a, the, um, uh, you know, normally your leg can withstand this much of a force, but when you um, slipped, this much of a force hit it, so it broke here, and here's the x-rays to show you. Do you feel better? You know why. Do you feel better? It's useless. But if he says, okay, I'm going to tell you what you need to do and what you can do with this to get better, now do you feel better? It's the same way with God. Maybe in heaven we'll have all the answers. But if you're going through a tough time, COVID's been a tough time, or maybe you're very disappointed with the election results, whatever's going on in your mind this morning, I want to tell you that God can take that and do incredible things. And I believe he wants to. And so I want us to look at a passage in Isaiah 6. Let's go to Isaiah 6. And we're going to answer this question right here. How to connect with God in the midst of a crisis? So let's look at what Isaiah 6 says real quickly. Isaiah 6, passage many of you know. And so I have to be careful. I can't go outside the orange lines. Like a dumb hit in the first service, I was going past the orange line. They say, I'll disappear from the, the picture. So I got to remember. I get nervous like a caged cat. So Isaiah 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Or with two, of course. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, everybody knows this, right? Here I am, or here am I, send me. And so I believe that what happened to Isaiah needs to happen to us. I believe Isaiah was going through a crisis. He had not gone to the temple up to this point. I believe that he was probably from the Levi tribe. His tribal lineage is not shown in the Bible. But the fact he could go into the temple tells me that he had to be of the Levi tribe. So he has to be a priestly person and a prophet. And so there's a crisis that's happened, and he learns that what he needs to do 
is go to the temple to connect with God. And I want to propose to you that whatever is happening in your life this morning, you need to go to the presence of God as we sing and connect with him. That is the most important thing you can do. Now, now notice the first thing that he did. The first thing he did. You, you need to contemplate his majesty. You see that? He walks in and what does he see? He sees God high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. He contemplates his majesty. And one of my heroes in the Bible is David. David had, you know, he was a man after God's heart, right? But he, he had a horrible life. He's always going through disaster after disaster. And at the first part of his, his life, it wasn't his fault. But many of the Psalms, you can see him bearing his, his, his heart to you. And he says in Psalm 16, talking about this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. You see, the secret to David's power in his life and why he was such a great king is he did this of contemplating the majesty all the time of God, of going into his presence. And obviously, you and I can go into God's presence because God is here in this place, but also we can go to the word of God and we can go into his presence. Now, notice that when he contemplated his majesty... There was three things that he looked at that were important. Number one, the position of his majesty. Where does it say that he was? Where? High and lifted up. Now, isn't it strange that many times in the Bible, orange line, many times in the Bible, that when God wants to talk to someone, he meets with them in a mountain? Have you ever noticed that? Why a mountain? He can meet with you in the valley. I really believe he met with people in the mountain all the time because when you go up to a mountain, I don't know how Lee's summit is, I don't even know where the summit is. I mean, I've driven around this city a lot, but I guess there's a summit. If you go up to the, a mountain or a summit, what happens? Your perspective changes. Does everyone agree with me if you go up to a mountain? If you're down here in the valley, it's like a rat race. There's people everywhere. You go up to the mountain, and they're grasshoppers. And all of a sudden, my problems are little. They're down there. When I go into God's presence, I spend time with him. I have his perspective, Right? He sits above the circle of the earth and he sees men as grasshoppers. You know that. And so this is what happens with Isaiah. Now, now why is Isaiah in crisis? Look at what the verse 1 says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Now, King Uzziah died. You might think, well, so what? Well, King Uzziah was the king for 52 years. And many people say he was the most prosperous king they ever had. This was the most prosperous time in the history of Judah. Now, we know he was a good king until he messed up and he went into the temple and he was struck with leprosy. Um, you know, he offered incense. But pretty much he was a good king. I think he loved this king. And here's what I think. Think of your favorite president of all time and imagine that he won in 1968 and he just left this year. How would you feel? Or imagine that your candidate just lost an election. How would you feel? That's how he felt. He felt, this is a disaster. With this new guy, we're not going to make it. It's a disaster. So what do you need to do? Go to the temple. You see God high and lifted up. And the fact that he could see his train, which means the bottom part of his skirt, where's he at? He's on his face. And he goes before God and he sees God is bigger than my cancer. God is bigger than COVID. He's bigger than an election result. Do you think God's up there wringing his hands over the election results? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, in my lifetime, I've had every kind of president. In El Salvador, we had a president that was a leftist gorilla. And people here are always talking about socialism. I've lived with socialism. I know what it is. 
It's a disaster, but I'm not going to talk about that. The problem is, well, it is. The worst thing you can do for a poor person is put them in socialism. I see misery in my part of the world. But it doesn't matter what group you are, capitalist, socialist, Democrat, Republican. It doesn't matter who wins. God's on the throne. He's always on the throne, and I don't care. I don't care what happens. I see him high and lifted up, and he can solve any problem. And so if God had just lost or he wasn't on the throne, I'd be real worried. But he's up there just smiling and wanting to do great things through us. But notice another thing he had to look at, the perfection of his majesty. Have you ever noticed that every time someone is in the presence of God, he's always overwhelmed by one thing. He's never, or she is never overwhelmed by their, his love. Never overwhelmed by his mercy or his grace, which is my favorite part. They're always saying one thing, whether they're cherubim, which are different than seraphim. What are they always saying? Holy, holy, holy. You see, when we go to the presence of God, we need to see ourselves. And we see ourselves in his presence when we compare ourselves to his standard. And we need to see that he's a perfect holy God. Now, I don't know what seraphim, much about them. I know the word means burning things. I know they're not cherubim. I know they're special kinds of angels. They cover their face because they can't look upon God. They cover their feet because they're presenting themselves to walk how God wants them to. And they fly saying, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. And so they're flying away saying, holy, holy, holy. So we need to see his perfection, but we also need to see his power. Look at what it says here. It says, verse 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And the fire of God represents what? His power. You know that there's a temple in heaven. And in Revelation 15, it says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Notice how God associates the smoke from his glory with power. He's seeing the power. He's feeling the power. He's before a God that's all-powerful. And so in the midst of a crisis, take time to contemplate the majesty of God. You will realize that he is much bigger and powerful than any crisis that can happen in your life. But then he sees God and he realizes, whoa, I got a problem. And that's the second point. Confess your misdeeds. Do, do any of you remember when the Chilean miners were trapped? Does anybody remember that story? And I think they did a movie about it, but there was a book written about it. It's really interesting that they say that when the miners were trapped in Chile, 33 of them, that it was horrible, obviously. They're in total darkness. They need food. Um, they barely had any food. And that what they would do is they would always meet in the morning to eat the little bit of food they have and talk with each other. And so they met in the morning and every day. And um, one day they said, you know, we got to do something. We, we, we need to pray. You know, I, always, I was saying that in the first service. I said, you ever notice that people say, this is really desperate. We got to pray. You know, we always should pray, right? But that's what, so these guys say, we got to pray. So this Jose Enriquez guy gets on his knees and he starts praying and confessing his sins and confessing the bad things he's done to other miners. And it caused revival. All the miners started praying and saying to God, oh, I shouldn't have done this to my family. I shouldn't have done that. It was just total revival. But then when the best part happened, when they started to rescue them, that wasn't good for the other part because guess what happened to the prayer meeting every day? It went away. You see, COVID has been an opportunity to connect with God. 
I thank God for it. Anytime something bad happens in your life, it's a chance to connect with God to see his majesty and to see where you're at. you got to realize that we were made in God's image. And seeing God is seeing ourselves. When we see ourselves in the light of God's glory, we see, like Isaiah, how far we have fallen. This is a really important thing. Now think about this. He had not been in the temple up to chapter 6. And so some people think he got saved in chapter 6. I don't know. But I do know that he probably was not right with God up to that point. And look at what he says in chapter 5. Go back to chapter 5, verse 20. This is interesting. Chapter 5, 20 is a very well-known verse. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And I'm not going to keep reading, but basically he pronounces six woes. So Isaiah in chapter 5 is like most church members. They're experts at telling you what everybody else is doing wrong. They're the best, you know. Woe, woe, woe. But then he goes into God's presence and he says, whoa, because he realized where the problem is. He sees the standard. I was made in God's image. When I go to the word of God and I see who he is, I see how far away I am from that. And I realize, Steve, you need to change. Steve, you're the problem. That's why the Bible is compared to a mirror. The Bible's like a mirror. You know, just like this morning when you got up, you went to the mirror and you looked at yourself to fix your hair. If you got hair, I almost have no hair. And you go before the mirror and you're trying to fix yourself up because you want your appearance to be good. Did you go to the spiritual mirror? Did you compare yourself to the Lord God? Because that's a much more important thing. And so Isaiah is standing before God and he says, who cares about the other? Whoa, 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 it's their fault. I'm the problem. And can you imagine what happens at this point? A seraphim grabs a coal and starts flying towards him. What would you do? I'd be running out of that place, man. I can just imagine I'm on my face and I say to God, woe is unto me. And I talk about my lips. That's what he says here in, in verse uh, uh, six. He says, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't know what was the problem with his lips, I don't know if he used bad words. I think the problem with his lips is he did not glorify God with his lips. I think he did not preach the gospel because, he, of course, the gospel didn't exist in him, but preach about God at that time. That's what I think. But we do know what the Bible says about what we say. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So here you are. Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. You're down before God. And then you see a seraphim, you say, God, my mouth is a disaster. And then a seraphim comes with a coal. Oh my goodness, he's going to send me to hell. He's going to kill me. But you need to understand what's going on here. Where did he take this coal from? The altar. Now, aren't you glad this morning that at God's presence, there's not only a throne, that there's an altar? Can you imagine there was only a throne? Everyone would go to hell. He's a holy, righteous, perfect God. He stands in his throne. We don't meet his standard. But he has an altar in heaven, and the altar is the way we meet God because it's the place of sacrifice. And he takes the coal from the brazen altar, which you could say, well, why didn't he accept Jesus? Well, Jesus hadn't come yet. This is a time where the only way that you could cover your sins was through sacrifice. And what he's showing him is there has to be a price paid for your sin. So he goes to the brazen altar, takes that, touches his mouth, and he's healed at that moment.
And it says it healed his iniquity and his sin. Iniquity refers to doing bad things, while sin refers to not doing good things. In other words, you always quote, you covered both things. And so it was a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what I need to do when I'm in a crisis is go before a holy God and realize, man, I need to get, I'm messed up. And then realize that God's sacrifice through Jesus clears me up. A couple of years ago, I went to the funeral of, of one of my friends from high school. And um, I hadn't seen my high school buddies in many years. And uh, you have to realize that um, when I was in high school, you know, I got saved at the end of a high school. So I grew up in an atheist home, um, grew up in the Air Force. By the way, to all the veterans, thank you so much for, for what you do. Um, uh, incredible. And it's, and, and it's, you guys are heroes, and we, we really appreciate you. And, and so I grew up in the Air Force, and my dad was in the Air Force. And uh, we moved around all the different places. Atheist family, go to high school. And right before I left, I became a Christian. And so my friends, a lot of them weren't believers. And so I went to this funeral to be with them. I'd shared the gospel with them after I got saved. Well, to them, I'm kind of a loser because I was a chemical engineer. I was making a lot of money, more than them. Um, I had a really good job, and I gave it up to go to a country at war. So it's kind of like, don't talk to Steve. He's kind of weird. You know, he's a little bit off. He's a little bit off. If you talk to him, you'll start talking about weird stuff. Well, I had this buddy who's an electrical engineer, shared the gospel. He made something of his life. He went to the Silicon Valley started his own company. He's a millionaire and retired. So in the world's views, this guy's a great guy. So I was talking to him and I was telling him in the first service, nobody knows my first name. It's just Kern, Kern, you know, Kern. So he goes, Kern, when are you coming back from El Salvador? It's kind of like, when are you getting over that stupid idea of going to El Salvador? And I said to him, I can't take the picture of Jesus dying for my sins. I can't take that out of my mind. You see, I don't understand this, and I don't want to make anyone feel bad this morning, but I grew up in an atheist home. I can't understand a Christian that doesn't want to go to the streets and scream that Jesus saves. I cannot believe God saved a piece of garbage like me, and I can't believe he loves me so much he wants to use me, and I want the world to know that. How The least I could do is to tell someone about Jesus because of what he did for me, and it doesn't fit in my mind, and that's the same way with Isaiah. Isaiah comes to the point and he says, I've got to tell people. I've got to tell people. In the midst of the crisis, take time to get right with God so you can convert your crisis into an opportunity. And look at how it finishes. Comply with his mission. You know this part right here. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. I'm convinced with all my heart that the reason that crises happen in our lives as believers and the reason God leaves us here is so other people can know the Lord. When I first became a Christian, I thought, okay, I'm going to follow this perfect formula. I'm going to spend time with my family all the time. We're going to do a family devotional. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to live the Bible, and my kids will turn out perfect. How'd that go? I have four kids. They're doing good now, but one of them was, has been, a real, was been really hard. And I learned something. We try to put on a front of being such perfect people all the time, but the lost world's not interested in that. They're looking for people that are normal, that suffer, that go through cancer, that have a child that's a problem, that have problems in their lives, but they glorify God in the middle of it. They're just looking for normal people that do that. 
And that's the people that God wants to use. You know, Paul, many people thought was a loser because he went to jail. And Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Oh, I can picture the letter from the Philippians. Paul, poor guy, we're so sorry for you, man. You're in prison. You're chained to a guard 24-7. You can't even go to the bathroom in privacy. It must be horrible. Paul says, wait a second, guys. This is a party. I'm sharing the gospel. Well, why are you guys worried about me? It's turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Palace guard, praetorium, the elite, the Navy SEALs, special forces, whatever's your favorite group. I know nobody has a favorite group with the Air Force because I grew up in the Air Force. But any of the other groups, some elite group, you know, it's like your dad was the Air Force. Okay. My dad was a Marine, you know. But another story. And so this is the elite group. This is the palace guard of Saddam Hussein. How's he going to preach the gospel to him? He couldn't have before. So he's a secret agent. He says, God, allow me to suffer, please. I want to be a secret agent. I want to change the world. I want all this junk to happen to me because then you can use me to change eternity. And that's what he did. And so the same thing happens to him. So, no, no, no. so if you get a flat tire, oh, what a disaster. No, it's not. It's so someone can come and help you so you can share the gospel. If, if you have to stand in line, that's El Salvador typical line, what a blessing. I can share the gospel with the person next to me. If, if you get sick, it's so you can share the gospel with the nurse and the doctor. If someone dies in the family, it's so you can preach the gospel. You, you understand what I'm saying? The things that happen to us in crisis so we can say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Now, now notice the importance of this mission. It says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? For us? That's so weird. Do you think God was saying, who will go for me and the seraphim? I don't think that, because there's a weird thing that happens in the Bible. You, you know, the word for God is Elohim, which means gods, because God's three in one. Not three gods in one, but he reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why he said, God said, let us make man in our image. Just like we're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, man will be body, soul, and spirit. And I think this mission is so important, the whole Trinity gets together and says, who are we going to send out on the importance of this mission? Now, notice one more thing. Notice the, I'm going to go up to this next one here. No, notice the strangeness of this mission. I'm using a different word, idiosyncrasy. I was saying in the first service that once in a while, when it gets around to the 31st, they'll say what the word for the year is. To me, this is the word for this year. Weird. <laughs> go, go talk to one of your friends and say, how's it going in your family? Well, things are weird. In your, in your work, it's kind of weird. Church, things have been really weird. Isn't that true? Everything's weird, you know? Look at the weirdness of this mission. Here you are, you're before God, and you say, God, send me, use me, and look at what it says. It says, and he said, verse 9, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but you know what I would have done at that moment? I would have said, thanks a lot. I just went through this whole hassle of coming before you. I see your greatness. I offer myself. And you say, here's your mission, Steve, if you choose to accept it. Go preach to hard people and make them harder. I hear this from people in the States. You have this incredible program you're doing in, the state, in your church where you're going to reach one person. And Phil told me that you had over a 1,000 people sign up. That's, that's unbelievable. That's incredible. That God would use you just to reach one person. Unbelievable. 
But many people won't do it because they think people are too hard. They don't want to get saved. But you know what God says when you have a dad who's hard? You preach to him. That's what he says here. Now you might say, well, why do you do that? Well, you have to realize that in the Old Testament, homework, Deuteronomy 28, he says, if you disobey me, I will blind you and make you hard. Okay? God doesn't harden people like a capricious God. He does it because they disobey him according to the word of God. And so when we preach, we're a sweet savior to those who are being saved when we preach. And to others, we're a savior of death because they don't want to do it. This is the way I always try to explain it. The son, of course, represents God. Jesus is called the son of righteousness, S-U-N. And so if the sun is hot outside and you have some clay and you have a crayon, what happens to the, to the crayon? What happens to the clay? Whose fault is it? Most people blame the sun. They blame God. Well, he just wants to harden people. No, whose fault is it? It's the material. And that's the way your heart is. Your heart's either like clay that gets harder or it's like a crayon that melts. So when you preach the gospel every time and a person gets more upset, don't give up because of how this ends. This is the most important part. Please, please pay attention to this part. Then it says, verse 11, he said what I would have said in verse 11. Then I said, I, Lord, how long, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. And yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a tail tree, or, as, or a teal tree, pardon, excuse me, and as an oak whose substance is in them. And they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Now please remember this. What does this say? What does it say? What does the Bible say? Not what someone's taught you. Why does people harden people? Why does he harden their heart? Because they have a hard heart, one. Why do you keep hardening their heart? What happens to the clay? Sun comes out and hardens it. What if the sun keeps coming out? What eventually happens to the clay? It breaks. And what does he say to him? Your dad's hard, keep preaching, keep loving him. And every time he gets madder and madder, he will eventually break. My dad, atheist, First time I shared the gospel, don't ever mention the name of Jesus in this house of religion. But I kept doing it. And you know, if you ask my wife, um, Pam, who's the meanest person you've ever known? Steve's dad. She won't even hesitate. But I had a love for my dad and I kept sharing. And I kept sharing and one day, I was at the end of my rope and I says, I don't know what to do. I was crying to the Lord, what do I do? And God showed me this passage. You've been praying wrong, Steve. You have to pray for brokenness. If he's broken, if that heart that's so hard gets broken, he can get saved. God hardens hearts because he doesn't want to condemn them. He wants to save them because their heart's already hard. and He has to continue to harden them so it'll be broken and they'll be saved. And my dad, after 20 years, the hardest man, no one would have ever expected this man to get saved, got saved. And God can do the same thing. Now, some people I realize never, never allow it to happen. Don't give up. Because we're like Isaiah. We're living in a world of crisis. And we need to go before the throne and realize that God can use us. I, I love the theme of your church, impossible. I'm an example of impossible. If you looked at the yearbook of my senior year and they would have asked this question, who is the least likely person to ever publicly speak? Steve Kern. If you, if you ask people about any get together party they went to that I was there, no one remembers. Nobody will remember I was there. Who is that guy? I don't even know who that guy is. I was afraid to look at people. It's just a miracle. 
It's impossible that I can be preaching. It's impossible, absolutely impossible. And I always tell people this, and I leave you with this thought. It takes this much faith to believe that God can save you. It takes this much faith to believe that God can reach your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your boss for the, for the gospel. It takes this much to believe he can use you. The crisis in the United States right now is a crisis of faith, period. We need more Christians that believe that we have a powerful God, that he's bigger than all this mess, that he's high and lifted up, not wringing his hands over the problems, that he's in control and he's looking for some to say, my God reigns. My God is bigger than any problem. And they say, God, here I am. Send me, I'm ready to go. Give me one, I'm just gonna talk to one. And God will use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you for the rest of your life. But you have to say to God, I guess my invitation, here I am, send me next door to my workmate or maybe to Mexico City. I love you guys. Thank you for the opportunity, appreciate it. Fantastic, Steve, thank you for that. Praise be to God. Isaiah had an upward vision, led him to an inward vision, which led to an outward vision. See, when you finally see God for who he is, only then can you see yourself for who you are. And only then can you see the world as God sees the world. I'm really serious about this. We're all being sent, God has sent us all. He's sending all of us to find one in the next two years. We just sent a whole bunch of us to Blue Springs this year to reach Blue Springs. We're sending a whole bunch more to Independence in January to reach Independence. We're gonna send a whole bunch more to the crossroads of our city, Kansas City, Missouri in 2022. I'm praying that God might send you to the nations. We've sent others to the nations. We've sent some to work with Steve in Central America. We've sent a family to Madagascar, Phil and Val along. Maybe God would send you, that's what I'm praying for. Because this is the vision of Acts 1 and verse 8. This is the last thing Jesus said. You shall be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What if God wanted to send you to the ends of the earth? Why not? He sent a California surfer, a chemical engineer, and God has used him in 35 years to reach thousands all over Central America. He sent a police officer to be a pastor. You think that's, that's weird? That's the word, weird. It's, word, it's weird. God does weird things. When you just give all of yourself for all of him, you never know where it's gonna lead. Would you at least say, God, send me, and then let God deploy you wherever God would want to. That's the prayer. Jesus, I pray for every person here. I pray for our church, that Lord, we could be a sending church, that as you sent the Son of God on our behalf, that Lord, you would send us, the people of God, on behalf of the gospel, the good news, to reach the world. I pray the Spirit of the living God would fill each of us, that Lord, we would take this mission, the Isaiah, here am I, send me, this week, 
to all that we will meet in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening today. Abundant Life's desire is to see lives changed by Jesus. We want to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Stay connected with us by visiting our website, livingproof.co, or follow us on social media at AbundantLifeLS. Life LS.